As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Podcast weekend preview as we approach the final third of the season. I'm Michael Bailey, in for Adam Leventhal this week. Our YouTube viewers will notice we're on a virtual record this week, but Adam and co will be back in the studio next time. Uh, let's welcome our guests today. We've got John McKenzie. Hello, John. How are you? Hello, Michael. It's been a while. It has been. It's lovely to see your face, albeit from a significant distance. All good? Mm. All good, yes. That'll do for me. Uh, Tim Spears is here as well. Tim, I bet you're a little bit disappointed Adam isn't actually here this week, aren't you, after all the... Sticky gave you a little, but that that can wait. Don't worry, save for next week. I, I mean, I prompted that just so to make sure you'd remember. Keep it in mind. Uh, <laughs> Namdi Onyeguara is here as well. Namdi, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm very well, Michael. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired. I was uh, live blogging the uh, wonders of deadline day, um, which. Um, <laughs> You know, it was still obviously a deadline that had to be reached, so therefore my night wasn't any shorter than it needed to be. But, you know, we, we saw it through. And, and I, I would argue we had a better time of it than West Ham, so there we go. Uh, right, <laughs> um, let's crack on, shall we? The Premier League is coming thick and fast as we enter February. We had a midweek round of fixtures that saw Liverpool maintain their five-point lead at the top after demolishing Chelsea 4-1. Meanwhile, at the bottom, Luton got a 4-0 win at Kenilworth Road against Brighton. They have now jumped out of the bottom three at the expense of Everton. This weekend, and I know Adam does this, it's a fixture formation of 5-4-1, which uh, which does sound actually a legitimate way of playing. That's from Saturday to Monday. Our early Saturday fixture is Everton against Spurs. Then we go to the three o'clocks. Brighton against Crystal Palace, which is a derby, isn't it? A weird derby. Newcastle versus Luton. Burnley against Fulham. And then the late kickoff on Saturday is Sheffield United against Aston Villa. Excellent stuff. We move on to Sunday for our four, which is the 2 p.m. kickoffs. They are Man United against West Ham, which we'll be talking about, I'm sure. Chelsea versus Wolves, Bournemouth against Forest. And then the late game on Sunday, oh, Arsenal versus Liverpool. Who knew? That's going to be exciting. I think we might talk about that one as well. Monday evening then, to round off the weekend, Brentford against Manchester City. But I think 
we should start the show in North London. Yes, Arsenal against Liverpool. That is the late game on Sunday. Arsenal have steadied the ship a bit. They've got two wins in a row. Uh, that last one of those coming in midweek against Forest, where they never win. Namdu. That's you know, it's a bit of a coup to get something there. Uh, meanwhile, Liverpool come into this one off that four-one win against Chelsea. I mentioned a bit ago, uh, and it wasn't so long ago that they beat Arsenal two-nil at the Emirates in the FA Cup, which, as we know, is a excellent precursor to the Premier League. Uh, Namdi, can you let us know, as an Arsenal fan, what's your reading of this one? How are you feeling going into it? Are you are you confident? Admittedly, I'm not overconfident. I'm not sure if you can say a game in, in early February is a title decider, but this is definitely getting close to it. I mean, yeah, if we if we win on Sunday, I mean, we're two points off Liverpool and firmly back in the title race. And if we don't, yeah, we'll be eight points and, and it looks looks increasingly harder. So um, I'm not overly confident, but I would hope that uh, Mikel Arteta and the team and hopefully the Arsenal fans on Sunday as well recognise the significance of the game and and the impact implications that it can have. And I'm hoping that they prepare accordingly and we get the points. I mean, it surprised me how far off they are their tally from last season at this point, because I think they, they're sort of five, eight points, one or the other, <laughs> five points below where they were at this stage last season, where obviously they were flying and people were like, this is incredible. So just to get anywhere near their previous tally, I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a drop off, isn't it? See, I always say that I think comparing this season to last season is um, last season we were very much a surprise package. I probably don't think a lot of teams in the Premier League expected us to be as good as we were. And then it took them a good couple of months to find out how to play against us. And especially coming back after the World Cup break, I felt that we were, you know, coming up against a lot more defensive blocks and, and a lot more people were saying, well, if we try and deny this team space, maybe we'll make, a bit, make it a bit harder to play. So I think coming into the season, we've found coming up against those blocks much more regularly. It has impacted our points tally. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do for the best of teams. And essentially we've been found out. And I guess now coming back from the winter break, I guess we just need to find a new way to play. And then you need maybe a new player to bring in. And Emil Smith-Rowe started last time out at Forest. Uh, is, is he someone that Arsenal have missed? Because, uh, you know, I feel like he's someone Arsenal supporters really like. <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. But also <laughs> that they, they really want to see flourish and it just hasn't, hasn't happened for various reasons, I'm sure. But it must be great to see him back in and the high hopes for that. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's a real, real fan's favourite. I think he's a player that a lot of fans can relate to, being a local boy and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just a... He's a player that yeah hasn't had chances. What well, probably some fans don't think he's deserved. That he he's whenever he's come on, he's always looked good, but he's always come on in bit parts and never really been given a time to really show what he can do. In the last two years, I think the game against Nottingham Forest was his first away start for us in two years. So he's especially when I was talking about the aforementioned deep blocks that we play against a lot. He's a player that really does have the keys to open up some of those locks. And and I you know I would love to see him start on Sunday. John, I've got a couple of notes here. Kai Havertz has been labelled here as underwhelming, uh, agree or disagree, but also Smith-Rowe playing in the left eight role. Hmm? If I say that, mm. what what flashes, what sparks <laughs> in that wonderful mind of yours? Well, there's there's two questions there, isn't there? Yes. first one is about Kai Havertz being underwhelming. I, I think the, the, the point to take away here is that Kai Havertz and Emil Smith-Rowe are very different types of player. There's been some games this season where having Kai Havertz as that left eight has been quite useful for Arsenal. He's popped up with a few late goals, particularly box crashing as a second striker. He offers something quite different, at least going forward at the end of games in that kind of position. Um, but there is a, a question of whether or not the way that he's been playing the left eight role has actually had issues as well. So they've had to pick up late goals in games through him. 
because of the way that he plays the left eight role as well. Um, so with Emil Smith-Rowe, I think what you get really nice from him that you don't get from anyone else in the Arsenal squad at the moment, two things. One, he's a really good half-turn player, so he can receive the ball in pockets of space, turn and, and, and carry the ball forward. And then when he is carrying the ball forward, he is just a, he's a runner on the ball and Arsenal don't have a huge amount of players like that, uh, particularly in the midfield areas as well. So I think that, yeah, with, with Emil Smith-Rowe, what, what you're getting is maybe a little bit more uh, link-up between the, the build-up unit and the attacking unit, which I think at times this, this season and Arsenal have have struggled with their build-up has at times been a little bit too ponderous and has led to them having to, to sort of drift out into wide areas, which has led to all these questions about whether or not Arsenal need a need a, a a different profile of striker as well. So yeah, I think he offers something very different in that role. I think I prefer him usually in the right hand side, but he's he's obviously not going to depose. Martin Erdogan from that position as well but he also is able to drift into wide areas quite nicely as well so you get a little bit more flexibility in uh, in, in interchanging with the fullback or the wide forward on that side and I think that can be really useful as well for breaking down uh, low blocks as well so yeah I think he just offers something quite different to, to Kai Havertz a different type of profile and um, yeah I, I think whether or not Havertz is underwhelming is, is to the listener's discretion but he, he definitely offers something different yeah if only we could do a podcast poll on that one. But let's save that for another. I'll save that for, for when Adam's back. So, Tim, we're quite. Are, we, are you excited about this game, Tim? First of all, fairly. Yeah, fairly. The, 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 well, the, the the cup game was great, and they both played pretty strong teams that day. So, hopefully, we get something similar. That would be good. I mean, it feels like there could be the potential for loads of goals here, which I guess also makes it. Possible it might be goalless, as you know, football works. You can get all sorts of scores. One battle that may decide which we get, Gabriel Martinelli. He has more goal contributions against Liverpool in all competitions than he has against any other opponent for Arsenal. That's four goals and two assists. That bodes well. Liverpool's Trent Alexander-Arnold is back and he's assisted six goals in his last seven Premier League games against Arsenal. That's, that's the duel, isn't it, Tim? That's the one. Is it though, Michael? Because I'm I'm seeing suggestions that that young Connor Bradley is so good that he must play at right back. And with Sabozlai injured, there's the suggestion that Trent Alexander Arnold might play in midfield instead, which would deprive us of this battle. Yeah, it, 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 it probably is one of the key areas of the pitch. I mean, you mentioned Martinelli's got four goals against Arsenal. That's also the same number he scored in the entire Premier League season this year, which kind of shows you how his goal output has reduced. And that's a big problem for Arsenal, really. You know, they've got a number of very good, very talented players who just haven't hit top form this season. Um, if you look at Martinelli, Trossard's dipped off a bit recently. Smith-Rowe, we've barely seen for a season and a half now. Havertz hit and miss. Vieira hasn't really sort of proved himself when he's played or he's been injured. But that's the conundrum for Arteta. You know, his team's pretty fixed in terms of Rice and Odegaard in midfield and then um, Jesus and Saka up front but it's those other two positions that are proven a bit problematic and I think that's having a big impact on um, on Arsenal in general because they don't seem to have as many match winners as that, as last year which is why I put Liverpool as as favourites certainly for this one with all the momentum we've got since Klopp's announcement etc it's going to be an excellent game but I would definitely sort of favour Liverpool going into it I was going to ask about the uh, Klopp departure, which I'm sure we're all aware of. It's a, it's a narrative, isn't it, John? We've got to talk about the fact that Jurgen Klopp leaving is going to fire up Liverpool, whereas actually it seemed to 
leave a lot of big questions and, and <laughs> uh, Virgil van Dijk saying things that he then had to um, clarify later and stuff of whether he was committed to the future. Uh, and as as someone who has followed Norwich City a lot, I, I you know, was aware of the FA Cup game where, they, where Liverpool sort of strolled past Norwich and didn't feel particularly any more emotional than, than other games. But maybe I'm being unfair, I don't know. But uh, can you sense that there's a, a renewed purpose from Liverpool? I don't know. <laughs> We're talking now uh, about psychological impulses and stuff, and I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I also don't know when the players will have been made aware of it, because I believe the conversations were happening at the end of last year, calendar year. So presumably the players will have known before now, so the timings maybe don't match up so much. But it definitely sets them up for a really nice denouement this season, doesn't it? With 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 Klopp being the, the guy who's he's going to move on at the end of this season it would be a really nice bookend to his time at Liverpool to, to actually win the league. And I'm sure the players have, have got that motivation um, at the back of their minds. So, yeah, it definitely feels that way at the moment. They, 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 the momentum just doesn't stop. They roll on and uh, they, they look inevitable. In terms of um, obliging away teams, you couldn't get two stronger candidates than Norwich and Chelsea. So we, we, we maybe look too much into these things and, like, oh, they're doing it for Klopp and all that stuff. Well, no, Liverpool, you know, they're the best team in the country this season. So, you know, they're going to be awful teams. Sorry, Michael, um, at home. And But yeah, I, I do think, I do think it's, it's maybe a slight glimpse into what we're about to see for the next three months. You know, Liverpool have all, been, all often been about momentum and energy and atmosphere. You know, they bloody love that stuff. And uh, Klopp's really sort of bought into it and built on that. And fighting on four fronts with him leaving and, you know, the emotion and energy that that all brings, it sort of feels like the ultimate culmination of all the things he's instilled in the club over the next few months. You know, if they go and win sort of two, three trophies, as John says, an amazing bookend and a sort of fairy tale finish, really. You mentioned Connor Bradley as well, Tim. John, I'm going to come to you because there's a suggestion here, written here, <laughs> that when Liverpool play with traditional fullbacks, they're actually a bit more well, how dangerous, dynamic, <laughs> than when Trent's doing sort of two jobs at once. But yeah. You're not having that. I've, I've tweeted some tongue-in-cheek tweets uh, after the game last week. That's Don't not like do you. That. Don't <laughs> do that. Yeah. I know. Liverpool <laughs> fans have finally made me realise that you're not allowed to shitpost. Yeah, I, I I made some comments about about the fact that they look quite good with with a traditional fullback on on the right hand side uh, the other day against Chelsea. The reason why I was being tongue in cheek is because the whole season I've been having this this sort of ongoing debate with myself about Trent Alexander Arnold inverting. Midweek they they did play with a, a traditional fullback in Conor Bradley. They did use. Joe Gomez as a little bit more of an inverting fullback as well. But the the reason why I've constantly pushed back against the the inverting fullback at Liverpool is not because I don't think it works. I think it does. I've got a, a 15 minute video on the on the Athletic FC feed. There's always right a video. Now. There's always there is always a video. <laughs> yeah. Um I have a 15 minute video saying that, you know, I I I misread the way that they're inverting fullbacks because they've actually tweaked the role so that it works for Trent Alexander Arnold now. But I've always maintained that actually there's that there's two different levels that you need to talk about whenever things like this happen. One of them is the is the the tactical uh, technical level where you're talking about what are the, the upsides that you're getting structurally from doing something like that. But on the other hand, there's always the individual upside as well. And when you have a ball striker who's as goated as as Trent Alexander Arnold, you can you you can play him in a in a uh, a different role which maybe doesn't suit him particularly well. And you can then tweak that role so that it fits in better, and you get a huge amount of upside from it as well. So I think the the interesting thing with with for me with Liverpool is that you can play 
Alexander Arnold inverted as a fullback and and get a lot of benefits from that. He obviously helps them with their ball progression in that area. But then you can play a, a a fullback like Connor Bradley, who's going to play the role a little bit more traditionally and just has has been incredible. It's it's worth saying that as well. It's not just that, you know, they brought in a youngster who's playing right back. It, it just a really incredible player. So six, I think six, what do we call them? Goal actions? Involvements. Goal involvements. That's it. That's the one. Look, there's me, me, not like me to not pick up on a piece of jargon when we could, right? But um, six goal involvements from him. Um, he's an incred- incredible young player and looks really exciting, but you can play him in that way and actually it solves a lot of the some of the structural problems that you have when you play Trent Alexander-Arnold inverted. So as Tim alluded to before, um, there's questions about how do you fit these two into the same team? Can you play Alexander-Arnold as a, a, a central midfielder uh, with, with Bradley in the right-back position um, and, and can it all work out? So yeah, the point wasn't that Liverpool looked better with with the traditional fullback on that side, but the the point was that they can work just as well with a traditional fullback on that side uh, as well, and which, which makes the whole thing quite interesting. I think for people who are interested in the, t- the tactical side of the game. Well, I think you've done a sound job of clarifying yourself there, John. <laughs> Great work. Never do sarcasm again on the yeah, internet. Really. Um, I mean, I think you know if, if Arsenal are going to have any hope of winning the title, they've surely got to win this game. Which I guess leads us nicely onto predictions, which I believe is something that gets done on this podcast. Um, you've all started shifting in your seats a little bit at this point, which is interesting. I don't know if I need to do a prediction as well on behalf of Adam. I suppose I could do. I'm not definitely not going to go first, though. Go on, Tim. Uh, I'll go for a repeat of the FA Cup. 2-0 Liverpool. John? I have a feeling that Arsenal might do this time. The general, I think, ebb and flow of the games has been that Liverpool have made it too easy for Ars- to drag Arsenal into their their sort of more open transitional game. So I think this game is going to come down to can Arsenal maintain control throughout the whole game and 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 stop getting dragged into this sort of more transitional battle that Liverpool are going to thrive on, make the game chaotic and and see what they can get out of it. Um, and I think that I think this time around they will um, and they are going to win two one two one to Arsenal. Arsenal. Yeah, Namdi. Yeah, Arsenal are going to win. Uh, Arsenal <laughs> are going to win this game. I mean, yeah. I think I think we have to, and I think um, I think the significance of that will be recognised on Sunday. And I think I, ho- I hope <laughs> that we will learn from our finishing mistakes we've made the last two games. And I think Arsenal will win two one. Also, we've got we've got two Arsenal wins there, haven't we? And one one Liverpool repeat. Yeah, which 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 is which considering Liverpool have lost one domestic game all, in all in all comps all season, and that was when they had nine men in in stoppage time at Spurs is. Bold and brave, but that says a lot about these two men. I mean, this is is one of the toughest games they're going to play this season. That right. is true, John, and that is why I am going to predict. I am going to predict a one-one draw, <laughs> a late Joe Gomez equaliser. <laughs> wow, I know, right? But that, that doesn't matter, does it? That's just really like a, in the spirit of Adam Leventhal. That, there, that's, that like is, a, that's what that's we like. Just a bonus element to that one. Right, next off to Goodison Park. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So kicking off the weekend on Saturday, Everton versus Spurs. Everton are winless in five. They drew with Fulham in midweek. They are back in the relegation zone as well. Uh, Spurs are back in the top four after their 3-2 success against Brentford, which uh, which Tim was, was quite quite a feisty occasion, wasn't it? So uh, that, that was plenty of good fun there. Everton are a curious, a curious one, Tim, because that, they are actually having a decent season. It's just this points deduction has thrown them right in the mire and they might be getting another one. So it must be playing with their heads completely. Yes, there was a sense of real familiarity about Goodison Park last weekend when they were booed off at half-time and full-time um, after, you know, a few weeks of respite and oh, technically we're 10th and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's back to normal. I mean, they missed, they missed Decore a lot. I think, I think more than most Premier League teams, he's... He's sort of the one player that they can't do without. You know, they're more of a one-man team in some respects than most uh, most teams in the league. But yeah, they, they just haven't got goal scorers, Michael, and that wasn't resolved in January because obviously they've not got not got the luxury of spending much money. So they're stuck relying, as they have been for many sort of seasons, really, on on Dominic Calvert Lewin and three goals in eighteen for him this season. Doesn't bode well, really, for the rest of the campaign. You know, you look at the fact that only four of their squad have reached three goals in all competitions this season that's Decore on six Calvert-Lewin's got four in all comps Harrison's got three and Beto's got three and you know we know he's not the answer either so I applaud the way that Sean Dice is trying to do things but I do wonder if he may have to go classic dice ball pretty soon because you know they just they, they need results more than anything it's sort of you know we're into February now and Luton are picking up crazy results. Dice might have to go back to his sort of tried and trusted formula to get some results here, because that's obviously the, the be-all and end-all. I'm just looking at FB ref, as as is my one, and uh, Calvert-Lewin is the is the worst performing player per shooting. He's five goals under where you might expect him to, expect him to be, and Beto is uh, two goals off where he should be as well. So we're already talking seven goals there that they're you know you would expect them to have got, which they haven't got. So definitely struggling on the goal scoring front. And Sean Dyche did actually try and play them together, didn't he? Which is partly through a lack of midfielders, but also because, you know, Sean Dyche four four two. I mean I'm imagining in his in his like managerial office he's got a folder up on the top shelf where it's like, right, it's time for Dyche ball, lads. So he pulls <laughs> it up and then he opens it up and and away he goes. Um There'll, there'll, mean, be an alarm, there'll be an alarm at the training ground, Michael, today. The, the, the dice, dice ball alarm going off. Right, lads, here we go. It's, it's funny, though, this season, though, because, you know, dice ball has been very different from what people have expected it to be. And and they have been putting up the the, the numbers and the attacking phase that you don't usually expect to see from, from a Sean Dice team. So it has been kind of fascinating to see that he's clearly gone away uh, in his in his interim between jobs and, and, and worked a little bit on the on the attacking side of the game. I mean, yeah, it's no goals in the last three Premier League matches, 41 shots without success, which in my head, Namdi says, you're not taking the shots from the right places or you're really bad at shooting. Kind of a real variety of narratives. I think it definitely is interesting 
uh, important, sorry, to mention, obviously, on the other side of the pitch that they actually are doing very, very well. I know since December, since of December, they've had more clean sheets than any other team with six in nine. I do think um, it might not be going uh, to plan on the offensive side, but I think definitely with, especially with the emergence of Drab Brent, uh, Brantford coming up, coming in next to James Tarkowski, is definitely a player that's had to bide his time. I think his loan spot PSV did in wonders last year and he's come in now and started 19 games this season and, and formed a really solid centre-back partnership with Tarkowski. So I think if, if they can build on what looks like a very strong and rigid defence, if Calvert-Lewin can add to what is four goals this season, then yeah, you never know. You never know. I mean, Tim, are you a Jared Branthwaite fan? Can you can you see where his real strengths lie and, and how where the ceiling is? Every player has a ceiling. Is he banging his head on his yet? No, I don't think so. I think there's more to come from him. There's lots to talk about him getting into the England squad, which is it's one of those where it's a, it's a tournament too soon, isn't it, really? You can't see him squeaking in. You know, Southgate's got quite a few centre-back options that he's looked at in the last few months. Obviously, um, Maguire and Stones, but then there's uh, uh, Dunks, Dunk's been one of the ones who's, who's sort of clawed his way into the squad recently. Tamori's still knocking around as well. Mark Gay, of course, as well. So, yeah, I don't think there's time for him to get in ahead of the Euros, but 2026 World Cup, he could be one of the ones that's identified, I think. England definitely got a weakness at centre-half, and if he can continue his progression, yeah, he's certainly got all the attributes to make it. I mean, we've been speaking a lot about Everton's lack of goals, Tim, but, you know, they're coming up against Spurs. You know, Spurs are free they give you space, but they also can hurt you really badly. I mean, this if, if you haven't scored in 41 shots, facing Spurs, is it a good thing? Um, well, do you know, it was a fascinating game in December, just before Christmas. Spurs beat Everton 2-1 at home. And I was amazed at Dice's approach that day. He went, they were so open, it was ridiculous. And I, I thought they're playing into Spurs' hands here. But Spurs were lacking a bit of confidence at the time. And Everton should have won that game. They created... A shed load of chances. I think it's McNeil and Harrison were, were fantastic on the day. Dan Juma should have scored a couple off the bench. They were brilliant. I loved watching them, but they only scored one goal. And that is their problem. If if you're going to be a little bit more open, you've got to back, back that up with goals. But one thing they will get, certainly at the weekend, is chances. Because, you know, anyone who saw the a fantastic game for Spurs against Brentford in the week... Whoever Spurs are playing, they're going to let you have chances. Yeah, Spurs are a bit of a funny one at the moment. Now they're getting players back. Madison's sort of feeling his way back in. He's not at his best yet, but he's back. Son will be back soon from the Asia Cup. Bissouma will be back. Saar will be back. They're close to having full strength team slash squad again. And we know what they did with that at the start of the season. They went 10 unbeaten and won eight. So they're certainly capable of doing that again. And if, if so, you know, I know Postacoglu was sort of joking about them being in the title race in the week, but if, if they can reproduce that run again with no Europe, the only team in that group to have no Europe, then they will be back in the title race. There we go. Tim selling Spurs' title credentials, John. I, I mean, I, like, I mean, they are clearly in a title race because they're close enough to sort of be amongst them. It's very different to sitting here going, I think they might win it. Because, you know, you can be in a race until, you know, you trip over yourself and everyone leaves you behind. Yeah, Spurs are a weird one this season because the underlying numbers, Claxon. Yes, I've been waiting them, for that. Yeah, puts them very much in mid-table. And, you know, I think there's reasons for it. I think they're an outlier team 
their coaches doing stuff that no one else is really doing. And I think it takes time for, for teams to catch up when, when that kind of thing happens. So they've probably just been on the right side of variance uh, a little bit. You mentioned the uh, the Everton game, Tim. Um, they actually, yeah, they XG'd Everton in that game, Spurs. So they're coming on the out on the right side of, of some of these games. And, and look, when you're an elite side who's generating a lot of chances and you have a finisher like Hyungmin Son versus this season's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you are going to come out on top more often than not in those tight games. But, you know, you can't you can't ride on the coattails of, of luck forever in that respect. And before the Spurs fans come baying after my blood for using the word luck of their team, it, I, I do think there are there, there are questions to be to be asked of, of Spurs and, and the level that they're at. So I don't consider them to be viable title contenders, but I, I also don't think that's what they wanted to be at the beginning of the season. I think they wanted to get back into the top four and that's where they're currently sitting. They're playing a really exciting brand of football. They're winning over a lot of neutral fans and you know everyone likes to watch the, the games that they're playing because they're so open. So, But right now, yeah, they're still in the sort of in the, the space in my head, which is like still need to see more, want to, want to get a more solid grasp of, of what their level actually is. Namdi, Spurs in a title race. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd have you'd have to say so. I think it really it really isn't really is an up and down title race at the moment. And just like Tim said as well, if they are able to put a run together like they did at the start of the season, I guess at the moment, I think the only team you can say that has shown any sort of title winning consistency is Liverpool. And so um, that hasn't hasn't suffered any sort of drop off. So I mean, if Tottenham are able to put a, a good consistent uh, run of wins together, starting with this weekend, then yeah, you have to say they are definitely in the title race. I'm guessing they're not finishing above Arsenal, though. I hope. I hope not. <laughs> um, uh, Richarlison is now on seven goals in seven Premier League games. He's on fire. I, I feel like him and also Timo Werner maybe sometimes get a slightly hard time. Namdi, they feel like they're players that attract stick, whereas sometimes they do good things and maybe they don't get the credit from it. I mean, Werner played a part in one of the goals for Spurs in midweek. Yeah, I think that's really built on narratives. I mean, I'm actually I'm actually a big fan of Timo Werner. I know there were quotes going around about Timo Werner talking about his um how he's not the biggest fan of goal scoring or something to that effect, which probably probably were taken out of context. Gabriel has said similar things. I do think he's a very useful player. I do think he's a player that you can actually see why Spurs have gone for and given a chance, especially with the way they play, especially with players around him, the, sort, the likes of James Madison. If, if you're looking at Timo Werner, he's a very quick player, a player that will stretch defences and make interesting runs. Um, then you've got a player like Madison, which will have no problem finding him. So I think Werner and Richarlison, Richarlison especially, was a player that I wasn't expecting to catch fire in the way he has, which has been a boost for Spurs this season. So yeah, they're definitely players that can be useful in this um, quote-unquote title run. <laughs> yeah, he's backtracked nicely. Well done, Namdi. Uh, <laughs> let's, get, let's get predictions. What, what are you going to go for? Namdi, I'll start with you. Uh, I think Spurs win 2-0. Timothy? 3-1 to Spurs. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Am I allowed to still say the same thing? Is that a rule? What are the rules here? The rules are you, you've got you've got your own minds, Michael. You can you know. Okay. You are the rules. I the am the rules. Well, my <laughs> rule is I already had that in my head before you said it, Tim. So I'll say that as well, John. Yeah, Spurs win. Um, let's go three two. Why not? I'm oh, sorry about that, Everton fans. Right. Well, next up, it's David Moyes heading back to Old Trafford once again. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, one of the Sunday 2pm kickoffs sees West Ham head to Old Trafford. They won the reverse fixture 2-0 in December. So we're going for their first double over United since 2006-07, which is a long time ago. Uh, Tim, before looking ahead, let's start with that crazy game against Wolves last night. Some people may have missed it. Do you want to kind of sum it up in like, I don't know, three sentences? Uh, Man United got really lucky. Um <laughs> No, yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing game. Didn't see that coming, to be honest. Um, yeah, United sort of t- took advantage, I thought, of what was a really passive Wolves team uh, and went sort of 2-0 up. And then there was an awful foul from Casimiro on Neto for a blatant penalty, um, which <laughs> Wolves scored to make it 2-1. And then, um, yeah, McTominay scored with, his, I think, his first touch off the, off the bench to make it 3-1, and you think it's all over. And then... Um, yeah, Kilman sort of grabbed one back five minutes from time. And then you had this bizarre period in stoppage time where United was sort of pushing for a fourth when they were 3-2 up. And they left themselves uh, exposed to a counter-attack, three-on-three from a corner, I think it was. So, yeah, Neto does what he does and sticks one in the bottom corner for 3-3 in the 95th minute. And then two minutes later, the kid, Manu, scores... A phenomenal winning goal. Just the most ridiculous sort of touch, composure, spatial awareness and precision to stick one in the bottom corner. And wild scenes with that away end or that away side as it is at Molyneux for a remarkable 4-3 win, which, yeah, I really didn't see uh, really didn't see coming at all. Oh, it was such a good goal from such a young player who's only just bursting through. I think it, he's 18, isn't he? Um, Amari Forson assisted the goal. He's 19. Got to try and get this all right now. It was uh, only the second winning goal in the Premier League ever to be both scored and assisted by a teenager. Do you know the, la- the last two teenagers involved in that? Anyone want to guess? James uh, Milner. It's always James Milner, isn't it? Makeda. Uh, Mika- it's hard to pick an assist, isn't it? But yeah, Makeda. Is there a little put, bit of Bukaya Saka in there? I'm going to put you all out of your misery. It was Cristiano Ronaldo, 19, assisting Wayne Rooney, 18, for Manchester United against Liverpool. Nice. So um, That's the only other time it's happened. Only the second winning goal in Premier League history. Uh, so there we go. That, a moment of history by, by John, a player who, I mean, you know, United season has been absolutely all over the place, but he, he is like rapidly becoming a... A, a proper highlight, a breakthrough act as well. Yeah, it's incredible to see what he's doing as an 18-year-old. Um, he's playing in a role where we've seen a number of players being signed for, you know, £100 million, pounds, showing how important that role is in the modern game. And he's and he's slotted in really well. He's slotted in alongside a player 
of the pedigree of, of Casemiro, regardless of, of where you want to place Casemiro right now in the scale of uh, defensive midfielders. But he's he's come in and he's he's not looking out of place. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably the highest compliment you can play for a pay for a player um, in that in that kind of position. Obviously, you don't expect players in that position to pop up with a winning goal at the end of games either. But yeah, as, 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 as has already been said, incredible composure. Uh, we've seen him score a couple uh, of goals now and with that remarkable um, calmness, I think, to to just slot the ball into into the bottom corner. So yeah, an incredible player on, on, on their hands and uh, I, I suppose a bright spot in a in an otherwise fairly unremarkable season for Manchester United. And yeah, let's not forget that if that goal doesn't happen, the conversations we'd be having this morning would be same old Man United, like screwing up two goal lead, leads in a, on a couple of scenarios in the same game. Yeah, an incredible young player and it'll be exciting to see how he develops. I was thinking... Well, I mean, they're, they're, they'll ruin him, John. You know they will. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Well, the good thing, he's got plenty of time to be ruined because he's only 18, <laughs> so at least they're starting early. I, I was thinking about this on the way in this morning that um, I, I think Manchester United seem to be quite a bit of fun to watch. I mean, probably not if you're a Man United fan, but you know, there's goals all over the place. They can't really manage a game. If they're behind, they might well win it. If they're leading with 10 minutes to go, they could quite easily throw it away. Uh, someone who else who's probably quite thankful to uh, Kobe Mainu at Namdi is, is uh, Marcus Rashford because he had quite a week of it comes back into the team having everything been resolved internally which I'm sure was left very internal to only internal people at United. I should take the moment to direct you all to Talk of the Devils which is our dedicated Manchester United podcast that has all the reaction from the game last night as well as how United have handled Rashford. It has to be said Namdi he took his goal wonderfully well I mean from for all the talk of all the other stuff and night outs in Belfast and what have you that was the moment where you're like oh yeah he's actually a really good footballer yeah, no, it was, a, it was a brilliant goal. It was a goal that he definitely needed. Would have went a long way to silencing critics. I mean, I feel like, touching on what you said about United being being interesting to watch, I feel like there was so, so many different narratives in that team, especially just yesterday alone. I mean, if you go back to 2016, Rashford is this burgeoning young kid out of the youth academy that can do no wrong. And that looks like Kobe Mainu is has taken that role at the moment. So seeing Rashford um, with what he's gone through, stick that one away early on to set United on their way. Yeah, I think it was very, very important. Tim, I think you called Rashford's goal on the daily football or the daily transfer briefing uh, during the week because I think it popped up in conversation. Marcus Rashford had done that against Wolves previously, so um, that's twice. Sorry to bring that up. That's that's quite nasty. Yeah, isn't it? That's, yeah. So his sorry. his last sort of pu- um, public indiscretion was last season when he slept in and missed the bus or something. So he's benched for Wolves away, but obviously he came on and scored. So yeah, uh, he he just has to get himself fired up for for the big games, you know, against the big teams goes about saying. What do we do about West Ham? They drew 1-1 at home to Bournemouth. Uh, Calvin Phillips got his debut and within three minutes had laid on a goal for Bournemouth, uh, which obviously wasn't part of the plan. Uh, I mean, John, they were booed off, weren't they, West Ham? I think at half-time and full-time, so a double booing, um, which (laughs) suggests they didn't improve after the interval. Um, Yeah, I mean... And they only drew, they drew, and like, where are they? Sixth? Eighth? Somewhere decent in the table? I should really know. John, you know, don't you? They're sixth, yeah. But I think, yeah, look, on the one hand, I think getting a point against a Bournemouth team who are actually very good at the moment is is probably no shakes um, at at all. But like, I, I also think that, 
the, from the West Ham point of view, holding on for a draw against Bournemouth at home is probably uh, not not the most inspiring of, 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 of attitudes to come out onto a football pitch with. But yesterday, they were, they were abject, absolutely abject. They relied on a penalty to keep them in the game. Beyond that, they put up 0.4 open play expected goals. So they're really not threatening in any sort of way beyond set pieces which we, we know West Ham they're going to do that but when you you consider the 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 amount of money they spent on that squad they were missing Lucas Packeter um, but apart, apart, apart from that you know this is not far off what one of their strongest squads yeah it's 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 a funny one because you know we've had this conversation a million times this season David Moyes is effective so uh, on the one hand you know you you deal with it uh, and on the other hand you then have to ask questions about you know aesthetics what do the fans want to see you, you know make the most of being sixth in the table yeah you might not enjoy the football but you're there right last season you were in a relegation battle so we can have these conversations till the cows come home but I think that Yesterday was was really towards the the nadir end of the of the David Moyes spectrum. Yeah, let's definitely not keep having those conversations. David Moyes back at Manchester United. Tim, is there anything he has left to prove, or is this literally really old news? I mean, he could try winning a game at Old Trafford when he's not the manager there. Uh, it's been uh, seventeen matches in his managerial career away at Old Trafford, and he's not won a single one. I think he's lost thirteen and drawn four. But yeah, for no reason whatsoever, maybe he could do it this weekend because <laughs> Man, because Man United do that. They 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 win a couple of games unconvincingly. You know, they scrape past Newport County. Uh, they beat Wolves in the 97th minute when they sh- should have won the game comfortably, um, having let Wolves back into the game inexplicably. And yeah, they, they do that. They get they they avert the crisis and then they lurch back into a crisis. That's what they do. And and West Ham, yeah, they haven't they didn't win in January at all. I think they went out the cup. They drew pretty much every Premier League game drawn again against Bournemouth poor result in the week and then he goes Moyes goes and pulls one out the bag like he did when they beat Arsenal and Man United in December and of course he ended his Emirates hoodoo in that with that win 2-0 at the Emirates so um, yeah for some reason maybe I'm backing him to do it again don't know why Michael but we'd all like to see that wouldn't we Moyes giving it the big in in front of the away end winning at Old Trafford Great pictures, great pictures. Um, I do want to get the predictions. I do just want to briefly reflect on the fact that maybe West Ham against Bournemouth, West Ham were distracted because they were they were busy, obviously, during the uh, deadline day shenanigans. You know, they didn't have Said Ben Rama or Pablo Fornals available because they were both being primed for moves elsewhere, which uh, then didn't go through. Uh, Leon were hoping to sign Ben Rama. Real Betis were hoping to sign Fornals. And uh, once the deadline passed, both of those clubs were blaming West Ham for not sorting the deals out because it was all in place. So uh, I'm sure we're going to find out a lot more news about that one. But, you know, maybe maybe West Ham were busy trying to do that and it just didn't come off. And now they'll be free to focus on the football. And obviously they've, they've also got Fornals and Ben Rama available now, indeed, which is great news for West Ham fans. So there we go. Um, should we do some predictions? John, you can go first on this one. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Like like Tim said, Man United have the proclivity to mess up after they've uh, grasped victory from the jaws of defeat, um, or the jaws of drawing, I guess, in this case. But um, also, this is a game where I think they, you know, they can struggle. West Ham are going to play well when they can sit deep and then hit on the break. Man United like to play in that way as well, but they'll be given the ball a lot more than maybe they would want to by West Ham. So it's it's one of those ones where the conditions are, are set up for a, a West Ham. A uh, West Ham win, but good things never happen. So I'm going to say Man United somehow win this two-one. Oh, Tim's shaking his head. Go on, Tim. 
Good things do happen, John McKenzie. 2-0 <laughs> West Ham. Come on. Oh, <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. Namdi? Uh, yeah, going off the back of last night and seeing how uh, United was saved by a kid. Can, am I allowed to call Kobe Mano a kid? I'm only four years older than him. I don't know if I, if I meet the criteria. <laughs> if I called you a kid, how would you feel about it? <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll, I would say um, seeing how United games have been so far and how interesting they've been and how ugly and boring West Ham games can be, uh, I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. Oh, this is suitably bad. I mean, it feels like a game that I would predict West Ham to win because it's like, yeah, of course. And then United just rock up and win. So I'll go for a 2-1 United win. Um, and that is that. Right. Let's have a little look elsewhere, shall we, before we go. Oh, we've got a cracker in Italy. John, Inter against Juventus. Derby d'Italia. D'Italia. Derby di- <laughs> Hang on, <laughs> hang on. Derby d'Italia, eh? Yeah, the Derby of Italy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, Formon, it's right at the top of uh, the Serie A table. It is the, it, it is the title challenge uh, game for Serie A this season. And yeah, it's a sort of really interesting narrative between between these two teams. You've got Inter, who are comfortably the best team in Italy, I would say. And and this is one of the best teams uh, in Serie A for, for a good decade or so, I would say, going back to, you know, the mid-2010s. But then we've also got Juventus, who by hook or by crook have, have managed to turn things around. And uh, I think they're a point behind Inter with a game in hand. So a win here would, would definitely make uh, the title race look a lot more viable for them. I personally think that Inter are probably going to end up winning regardless. But for whatever reason, Max Allegri has has got Juventus playing. Do I want to say good football? I don't know if I want to say good football because usually uh, Allegri is famous for, for these sort of ground out 1-0 wins. But recently they've been actually scoring quite a few goals. So Dusan Vlaovic has, has finally started putting them in from all over on the pitch. They've got a fun squad. They've got a few youngsters coming through as well. So they've been able to make the most of those. But interestingly enough, both teams playing 3-5-2 formations, which you don't see a huge amount of uh, elite teams using these days. So, yeah, very much a, a case of the 3-5-2 derby for me. But, yeah, it's going to be a really good game. And it's on, I think, Sunday evening, sort of the late kickoff, so 7.45. So there's no excuse for people not to go and have a watch and, and see what's going on in Serie A this season. Lovely watching Arsenal against Liverpool, and then Inter against Juve, Tim, on Sunday evening. It'll be a, it'll be a cracker. You going to tune in for that one? Mm, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it can't be a tight decider. And then it's, it's by uh, Bayern next week as well, next weekend in Germany. So there's a couple of couple of big games coming up in Europe. We're getting to that stage of the season, i.e. the second half of the season, <laughs> uh, pretty much. Anything anywhere else in the Premier League people would like to talk about? I mean, Namdi, the M23 derby. I mean, Don't call what's it that. not... Are we yeah. not allowed to call it that? I mean, you can. Oh, I think it's. I think on the Wikipedia page it says, "Oh, the media call it the M23 derby," and you are the media, Michael Bay. Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's someone. Some, John, I say someone. John Rogers, a lovely producer man, has oh, done a great job go. with this what graph. What, what's that but he has he has written um, <laughs> M23 derby. But I suppose it's a bit like someone calling Norwich Ipswich the old farm derby, isn't it? I suppose. Um, yeah, my so, my good friend Ruben Pinder would would inform me it's a rivalry, not a derby. So. The M23 rivalry. There we go. Rechristened. Do we want to talk about that one? I mean, but Brighton are in a funny place because they um, they haven't won for a while. Otherwise, there's a fair few defeats now, and obviously getting thrashed at Luton. Yeah, we've got. There's lots of teams looking for new managers. They've got to keep Deserby at Brighton. So this is all tactical on their part, I think. Excellent. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Uh, <laughs> Brent, Brentford are good against Manchester City. They did the double over them last year. Um, so that's a fun one on Monday night, Namdi. 
It will be a fun one. Though. Most definitely be a fun one watching Neil Mope fresh off his antics again. See if he's um, <laughs> got his got his darts out as well. Well, I think we're covered for the rest of the fixtures, aren't we? There's well, some, I was going to uh, say... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, Tim. Sorry. Well, we've got to have a look at Sheffield United Villa for the specific reason. I don't know if you saw uh, Chris Wilder's quotes in the week. Honestly, like, I still can't believe he said it, to be honest, but anyone who missed it, he said... Uh, he, he went into the referee's room at half-time and the assistant ref was eating a sandwich, and this annoyed Wilder like nothing you've ever seen. He's like, he's eating a sandwich in front of a Premier League manager. Uh, he's furious. So if uh, if, Paul, if Paul Tierney, who's got Chef uh, United Villa at the weekend, has got anything about him, he'll turn up with a hamper of a variety <laughs> of sandwiches and just start munching away right in Wilder's face. What I, I watched. I watched that interview whilst eating a sandwich, and, <laughs> and, and felt a little bit guilty. I was there with my sandwich midway through, and he was like, "What a what a lack of respect!" And I was like, "I just popped my sandwich down and sat there with my hands folded for." for yeah, I knew. I was told. I was told. I mean, I imagine the official was literally sitting in his little dressing room, or maybe medium-sized dressing room, eating a sandwich when Chris Wilder walks in. <laughs> He's probably thinking, "I'm having, my, I'm have got half time, I've got ten minutes, fifteen minutes max for this sandwich, and you've come in here speaking to me." Give you know, maybe he wanted some respect. Who knows? To, uh, um, temporarily well, step away from sandwich gate if you don't mind as well. I just want a, a big mention to the mighty Nigeria who are gonna steamroll Angola tonight um, and and qualify for the Afcon uh, semi-finals. I love that shout. And between the AFCON and the Asian Cup, we might get some players back in uh, in domestic action. Or not, of course. Fingers crossed. Uh, brilliant. Well, I think that's a lovely place to end the pod. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you, John. Oh, thank you for having me. And it's great to be back in the, in the booth, the audio booth with you, Michael. Indeed, quite. Tim, lovely to see you. Take care. Have a good weekend. What you got planned? Uh, just going to watch all the football. <laughs> exactly. That's your job. Well done, Tim. Namdi, have a good one. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Ale will be back with you on Monday. Adam, of course, will be back with you on Friday. As usual, thanks all for listening. The Athletic.